You're listening to Grace Saves All, the podcast which exists at the spiritual intersection of Christianity and universal salvation. In this podcast, we will be exploring an ancient and modern approach to Christianity, which affirms both that grace saves alone and that grace goes to all. And now, here is David Artman, author of Grace Saves All, The Necessity of Christian Universalism. Welcome again, everyone. In our journey so far, we've covered quite a bit of ground. We proposed a definition of grace which defines grace as God's way of being with us until we are all healed, reconciled, and safely back home. We've made a positive scriptural case for it, and we've looked at how to deal with scriptures which seem to go against it. Now at this point, we can pause a bit, check the rearview mirror, if you will, have a little intermission, and make a few observations before we move on. The first observation is that no matter how you put your theology together, you're going to run into problem passages of Scripture. When you do theology, you have to use Scripture to make your case, but no matter how much you try to use Scripture to make your case, you will still run into Scriptures which seem to go against your case. This is a problem all theologies face, not just a theology of Christian universalism. No matter what approach you take to your theology, someone will always be able to say, Yeah, but what about the scripture that says, There is no one theology which makes every single verse in the Bible stand up and salute. So, while we do need to have scriptures we can point to in support of our theology, we also need some way of taking a larger view of things than just arguing scripture passages back and forth. And this leads me to my second observation, which is this. When we are trying to understand who God is, we certainly look to the scriptures, but most of all, we look to Jesus, because Jesus is God in the flesh. Another way of putting this is that when it comes to biblical interpretation, the character of Jesus should be the final interpretive key. Jesus, after all, according to John's gospel, is the Word of God made flesh, John 1.14. Jesus is the Word of God in human form, and the Bible bears witness to Him. Jesus is the ultimate hermeneutic, the ultimate revelatory framework by which we understand who God is. In her very perceptive book, Raising Hell, spelled R-A-Z-I-N-G, Hell, Sharon Baker put has a really good way of phrasing this, and so I'd like to share with you now this excerpt from her book. Sharon Baker put says it like this, Whether we want to admit it or not, we all put more weight on some Bible verses and passages than on others. In that regard, I'm no different from everyone else. The 1963 Baptist Faith and Message, a confessional statement of the Southern Baptist Convention, declares that one guideline should dictate how we interpret all of Scripture. Quote, The criterion by which the Bible is to be interpreted is Jesus Christ. Unquote. In other words, up until the year 2000, when the leadership unfortunately took that statement out of the document, the SBC, referring to Southern Baptist Convention, churches read the Bible through Jesus-colored glasses. And as we construct an alternate view of hell and read the Bible through one specific lens, we will choose to pay more attention to verses that more consistently harmonize with the life and teachings of Jesus. 
As we discussed before, no matter what we believe about the divinity of Jesus, we Christians interpret through this lens because we believe that Jesus most perfectly reveals God to us. Because this is true, the behavior of Jesus mirrors the behavior of God. Jesus tells us himself that if we see him, we see the Father. John 14, verses 6 and 9. He also discloses to us that his actions and behaviors are identical to God's. Whatever God does, Jesus does the same. John 5, 19. So how can we do anything other than read and interpret the Bible through Jesus' colored glasses, if we want to know God's character and behavior, that is? In order to understand God, we must understand Jesus. In order to develop an accurate picture of the image of God, we need to examine the image of Jesus that the Bible draws for us. End quote. I really like the way that Sharon Baker put phrases all of this. In order to develop an accurate picture of the image of God, we need to examine the image of Jesus that the Bible draws for us. And I also want to underscore one specific thing Sharon Baker put brings out in this quote. It's the part where she observed that the 1963 Baptist Faith and Message, a confessional statement of the Southern Baptist Convention, declared that one guideline should dictate how we interpret all of Scripture. The criterion by which the Bible is to be interpreted is Jesus Christ. In other words, up until the year 2000, when the leadership unfortunately took that statement out of the document, the Southern Baptist churches read the Bible through Jesus-colored glasses. So, in the year 2000, the Southern Baptist Convention, a very large, very conservative evangelical group, intentionally stopped seeing Jesus as the criterion through which the Bible is to be interpreted. As I see this, what this essentially does is demote Jesus and his character and his words, and then that results in being able to approach the Bible without having Jesus as the primary governing lens through which we see God. And I think that's more than just a little unfortunate, because we need Jesus in order to focus our thinking about God as we interpret the Bible. I sometimes think of it like this. Have you ever gone by a construction site in a big city where they have it walled off for everyone's protection, but then they have a little window cut into the wooden partition so that you can look in and see what's going on and get an idea about what's being built? Jesus is kind of like that to me. Jesus is that little window built into our reality that we can look through in order to get a correct idea about what God is like. And if Jesus is like God, then the view is pretty good. Very good, I would say. Because when I look at God through the window of Jesus, I am hard-pressed to imagine that God will ever give up on anyone. Jesus never diminished the disastrous consequences of sin, but neither did Jesus ever diminish the miraculous power of God to save either. And so, as I have come to see God through Jesus, I am persuaded that the judgments of God, both in this life and beyond it, ultimately fit within the loving and restorative purposes of God. Maybe if Jesus had never sat at table and eaten with the tax collectors and sinners, I would see it differently. Maybe if Jesus had cast the first stone at the woman caught in adultery, I could believe he would ultimately condemn the lost. But Jesus did sit at table with sinners, and he did not cast the first stone. And therefore, I can't imagine God doing anything differently. So, to recap a bit, 
The first observation in this intermission was about how no matter how we put our theology together, we will end up with problem scriptures. So while we need scriptural support for our theology, we also need a kind of guiding lens or frame through which to view all of scripture. And that led us to the second observation, which is that it is Jesus who provides us with the ultimate lens through which we interpret scripture so that we can have an accurate picture of God. As Sharon Baker put phrased it, we are helped greatly when we read the Bible through Jesus-colored glasses. And now we're ready for the third and final observation I want to make. And this has to do with how when we are putting our theology together, we should keep in mind the overall narrative arc of the Bible. We need to look at individual scriptures, but we also need to ask the big question, what kind of story is the Bible telling? Is the Bible telling a kind of a tragedy where God's rebellious creation falls away and then God is never able to fully win it back? Or is the Bible telling a love story where God defeats the powers of evil and is able to finally rescue God's creation from the power of sin? When it comes to the importance of the narrative arc of the Bible, Robin Perry is the scholar who has helped me to see this the most. Perry, when he was coming to his views on Christian universalism, was helped by taking a step back and looking at the big picture of the story that the Bible is telling. And the more he did this, the more it became apparent to him that the only fitting conclusion to the grand story of the Bible is one in which God is victorious in the end. Robin Perry wrote an important book about his journey into Christian universalism. The title of his book is The Evangelical Universalist, and I highly recommend it. Because of some considerations for his situation at the time, Robin Perry wrote The Evangelical Universalist under the pen name Gregory MacDonald. And I want to share with you this selection from his book about the overall narrative arc of the Bible. In The Evangelical Universalist, Perry wrote that the biblical story is a story for which universal salvation seems a fitting ending. Thus, Paul speaks of the mystery of God's will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Ephesians 1, 9-10. All creation is made for and oriented to God, and it is summed up and brought to its fitting conclusion in destiny in Jesus. Then at Jesus' name every knee will bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, i.e. the dead, and every tongue confess him as Lord, Philippians 2, 9-11. All will be subject to Christ, and then Christ will subject himself to the Father on behalf of creation so that God will be all in all, 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty eight. That is the kind of end I would expect for the biblical story. And then Perry continues on with this summary statement. Now we are so used to the traditional story of hell as the final fate of some, many, or most people that we usually fail to notice how out of sync it is as a conclusion to this story. Surely we need a very good explanation for this tale ending in tragedy for some, many, or most people. What possible reasons could there be for such an unexpected climax? Even if we think we can find an answer to that question, and finding a good answer to it is a major challenge. It is hard to avoid the conclusion that the biblical story told in a non-universalist way ends in a tragic, partial failure for God, end quote. I think Perry is making some really good points here. What good explanation can be given if the grand story of the Bible turns out to be a tragedy for some, many, or even most people? 
If the biblical story ends badly, did God know it would end badly from the beginning and proceed anyway? Or was it the case that God wanted a good ending for everyone, but was for some reason not able to accomplish it? Which seems strange, because God being all-knowing should have been able to know from the beginning if God could accomplish a good ending for all. And so, as Robin Perry puts it, it turns out to be a major challenge to explain why an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good God involves us in a story which ends tragically for some, many, or even for most people. I, for one, find it very logically compelling that the only coherent ending which makes sense for an all-good, all-knowing, all-powerful God is an ending which is good for all. An ending which goes something like, And they all lived happily ever after. I believe we are well on our way to making a good case that this is, in fact, the best ending to the story. But we haven't finished making our case yet. There are still some hurdles for us to clear. Some people are quite sympathetic to the idea that God will save all in the end, but they are still concerned that there is just too much mystery surrounding the final judgments of God for us to be able to hold this view with any kind of certainty. They wonder if maybe we are getting a little above our pay grade when we try to pierce through all of the mysteries of God and conclude that God's goodness, power, and knowledge require the salvation of every last person. Perhaps they reason it is the case that God, by granting humans the freedom to resist, may not be able to save all in the end, and they are concerned that God's relationship with us not be too deterministic and predetermined, because, after all, as they see it at some level, relationships need to be chosen. And so the next step in our journey will be to consider the problems of mystery and free will and to see how we can answer those concerns. I believe that we can. And so I invite you to continue on with me in this journey where we are coming to see a Christian vision of a perfectly good God who is telling a good story and who is in the process of saving every last one of us by grace. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Grace Saves All. You can help spread the word by sharing this podcast with others and by giving it a rating on iTunes. If you want to find out more about David or if you'd like to leave him a message, go to his website, davidartman.net. In the meantime, let's work together to help a hurting world know about the greatest news ever announced.